I invite you to open up your Bibles this morning to Galatians chapter 2. We're working our way through Galatians, and one of the reasons that I chose to study Galatians at this time is because it's the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And certainly, one of the characters involved there was Martin Luther. He was at the forefront of that reforming work. He was an Augustinian monk and a priest. Luther was very devout, very pious, very um, disciplined to the extreme, and yet he struggled greatly. He would have resonated with, with that lyric and that uh, hymn that we sang, Now Why This Fear? It says, I don't fear your banishment from God. But Luther did. He feared greatly. He struggled under a sense of God's anger and his displeasure, a sense that no matter how hard he tried, he would never measure up, that no matter how much he sought to obey, he would never be okay with God. He would never have a right standing before him. And the question that Luther wrestled with, the the question that he struggled to come up with an answer with, is a timeless question. It's a universal question, one that any who believes in God will wrestle with. We struggle with knowing how we can have a right standing before Him. We wrestle with whether or not we are okay in God's sight. It's this kind of question that keeps one up at night. It, it gnaws at you from the back of your mind. That was certainly the case for Luther, but Luther did not wrestle with this question forever. He searched the Scriptures diligently, and the Holy Spirit opened them up to him and opened Luther's eyes so that he could see, and he eventually did see, the truth of the gospel. So that he could clearly see how it was that he could, in fact, have a right standing with God. That he could see away from the Scriptures that he would not, in fact, be crushed underneath God's anger and wrath. And once he was relieved by this glorious and gracious gospel, Luther would devote the rest of his life to defending that gospel of trying to bring the church back to a right understanding of that gospel, to correct the ways in which the church had strayed from that gospel. And so Luther labored hard in Germany for the truth of the gospel, much like Paul labored hard in Galatia to defend and uphold and proclaim the very same gospel. This morning in chapter 2, Paul gets us to one of the main issues of the Reformation, one of the main things that needed to be recovered by the church in order to be faithful to the gospel. It was a huge sticking point in Galatia and in Antioch and Jerusalem, no less so than it would later be 1,500 years later in Germany. How do we have a right standing with God? How can we be okay in his sight. 
So I'd like to ask you to stand if you're able for the reading of God's Word, Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. May God bless the reading and the teaching, the preaching of His inspired, infallible, inerrant, and authoritative Word. Let's pray together. Indeed, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Would you assist us in these moments? Would you help us to see and be relieved by this great, gracious gospel? Would you bring us to a clear understanding of it? Would you bring us to a great conviction of it that we might even seek to defend it? even as we proclaim it, even as we rest in it ourselves. Oh, help us, we pray. In Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. It's a very big topic at hand today. Seeking to answer this question. How do you have a right standing before God? How is it that you can be okay with Him? And there's actually a a Bible word for that right standing, for being okay. And we see it used three times in verse 16. Justified. Didn't start out as a, a Bible word or a churchy word. It actually started out as a legal term. It's from the courtroom. And it carries with it a sense of being acquitted of being found not guilty. It is the opposite of condemnation. Condemnation is what Luther was sensing in his struggle. And he came to find in the truth of the gospel not condemnation, but justification. It is a huge topic. It could very easily warrant its own sermon series, much like we did with with regeneration, with, with being born again. But since our task at hand is to work our way through Galatians, we're not going to devote a whole series to justification, but we will at least take two weeks to address these verses. There's just too much there. 
And so this morning, I just want to seek to address two questions about justification to get us going. Number one, what is it? And number two, how do we get it? How is it that we can come to be justified? So we'll get to work on the first one. By getting our bearings in the context of this passage. Last week, if you were here, we looked at this great confrontation between Paul and Peter. How Paul opposed Peter to his face. It was awkward. It was uncomfortable. But it had to be done. Because Peter was not living straight with the truth of the gospel. He'd gotten crooked. And I think we should see today's verses as flowing directly out of that encounter. Paul talking to Peter, still trying to help him see the deep truths of the gospel, trying to help him see how Gentiles who place their faith in Christ are just as much Christians and just as much members of the church as are Jews who have placed their faith in Christ. And so he's continuing his argument here in verse 15. And Paul begins by or continues, rather, by saying, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Now, wait a minute. I thought Paul was trying to show how Gentiles were included. That doesn't sound very inclusive to me. Seems a rather odd way to get started. just seems rude. We're Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners. But I don't think it's actually quite as inflammatory as it might seem at first glance. And it's actually a pretty good window into both the culture of the first century church and what was going on there. And a window into understanding the roots of what it means to be justified. So what's Paul doing when he says we're not like those Gentile sinners? I think it helps to think in terms of sinners here being outsiders. We're, we're Jews by birth. We, we, we had the inside scoop. We were on the inside track. These Gentiles, they were on the outside. And so they were sinners because they weren't abiding by the same types of things we were abiding by. See, before Christ came, God's people were in relationship with him through a covenant. The the Jews, God's people, had a means of being right with God. They had a means of being okay with God. God told them, I'll be your God and you'll be my people You'll be okay with me, I'll be okay with you, if you do the following. And so, of course, there were the Ten Commandments, but there was a whole lot more than just the Ten Commandments. He said, you'll be okay with me, you'll be able to live in and enjoy my presence, to live in relationship with me, if you remain ritually clean. So you've got to be clean if you're going to be in my presence. And here's how you go about doing it. And he gave them all these rules and regulations that affected absolutely every aspect of human existence. What you ate, what you wore, how you kept your house clean, how you groomed yourself. 
right? All these guidelines that you had to abide by in order to remain clean, and you had to avoid all the rest of the people who weren't abiding by these guidelines if you were to remain clean. And here's a bunch of sacrifices that you can offer for when you slip up and you lose your cleanliness. Here's a bunch of sacrifices you can make to to get clean again. And so the Gentiles, non-Jews, didn't have the benefit of any of that. They were outside of that covenant relationship. And so they were never clean in God's eyes. Right? I, th- I think that's what Paul's getting at. He, he's not trying to degrade or, or be inflammatory. He's saying, we were Jews by birth. We had the benefit of all of this. We had the advantage of all of this, a way of being right with God, and the Gentiles didn't. They were outside of that. They had no advantage. But you know what? Come to find out, this advantage that they had, it was only temporary anyway. It was only of benefit for a time. Because see, when Christ came, he brought a new way of being right with God. He brought a new way of being clean, a permanent way. A way that could never be lost and required any new sacrifices or any new rituals to regain. So now look at verse 15 with verse 16, right? We were Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know, all right? So if anybody could have succeeded in being justified on their own effort, surely it would have been us Jews because we had all this advantage. We, we knew all this stuff. We had all these rules and regulations. So if it could be done, it would be done by us, yet we know that it didn't work. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. So here are some of the the first things that we see about what justification is. All right, so it is similar to cleanliness that the Old Testament laws gave to God's people. It's similar because it gave them right standing. It gave them access to God's presence. It gave them fellowship and a relationship with him. But justification is different from those Old Testament regulations in that it's now permanent instead of temporary. It can't be lost. And it's different in that it's available to all people, not just the Jews, Now, another big part of what justification is comes from the word itself. Used three times there in verse 16. You may even have a little footnote that directs your attention to the bottom. Literally, this word means to count or to consider righteous. So so if we think about this, this shows us both what justification is and why we need it. Because if justification is synonymous with counting someone or regarding someone as righteous, then it's safe to assume 
we need righteousness. Now, some great additional reading you can do on your own maybe this afternoon that will help with a better understanding of, of justification would be the first three chapters of Romans. Because if you were to look at those, especially chapters 1 and 2 do a great job of spelling out God's righteousness and His righteous requirement of us. He says we got to be righteous because He's righteous. He spells it out. But then in chapter 3, He brings down the hammer on each and every one of us. And for those of us who struggle, who wrestle under the question of how can I be okay with God, we find some very bad news in Romans chapter 3. Look at verses 9 through 11. What then? Are we Jews any better off? See, very parallel with what's going on in Galatians 2. Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, are under sin. As it is written, this is quoting from the Old Testament, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. Jewishness is of no advantage here. Even having had this history with all these ceremonial laws and regulations, no advantage. None is righteous. But here in Galatians 2, Paul speaks of being counted righteous, of being considered righteous, of regarded as righteous, of having a righteous verdict pronounced about you. This is good news. This is very good news. Something happens here whereby those who are not righteous get counted as righteous. They get a verdict pronounced about them instead of guilty, instead of condemned. It's justified. It's acquitted. It's not guilty. Now it's important to note, we'll keep this straight, The word for justified here is counted righteous. It's not made righteous. This is a a declaration. This is a pronouncement. It's not actually changing us into righteous people. The change and the transformation will come later, gradually, through the Spirit's power, His work in our lives. But what we're looking at now is is justification. How in an instant, we gain a right standing with God. We go from being condemned to being justified. We go from being not okay with God to being okay with God simply because He said so. That is good news. News that many like Luther are desperate to hear. So now our second big question of the morning. We've explored very briefly what justification is. 
Now let's get to the second question. How can I be justified? How can I experience it? What do I have to do? Sign me up. I need this. What do I do? Well, Paul starts in verse 16 by triple telling us what not to do. Don't, Paul says, seek to be justified by works of the law. Three times he says it in the very same verse. It's like he thinks we're hard-headed or something. How dare he? It's like he knows that we're hardwired from the womb to try to do it on our own. And so Paul tells us, it doesn't work, it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Nope, nope, nope. But he also tells us what does work. Here's how to be justified, Paul says. Let's see if, if this is helpful. I want you to think of, of, in terms of three groups. Right? Three groups of people that I think we can fit everybody in the world into. Everybody in this room into. Three groups. So think about yourself, think about your friends, think about your neighbors. See where you all fit in in terms of how you're going about this justification business. How it is that you're seeking to be right with God. So the first group would be a law-only group. Right? And so this would be almost every average guy and gal out on the street. Right? These would be folks who wouldn't necessarily claim to be a Christian. But if you were to ask the question, hey, do you think you're okay with God? And if so, how? Their response the basis of their answer would solely be on how good they are. I'm a good person. I'm okay with God because I'm a good person. And then they would list a bunch of good things that they do, like give to the poor. And they would probably list some bad things that they haven't done, like cheat on their taxes. All right, this would have been the Jews, okay? Jews who had not placed their faith in Christ. This is their category. Still depending on their obedience to God's laws, rules, regulations, for their right standing with him. And Paul says, nope, not going to happen. No one gets justified this way. Not a single person. All right, so that's group one, law only. Just solely on the basis of your goodness. Second group would be Jesus plus the law. Jesus plus a side order of law. It'd be faith in Christ, and I'm a good person. So it's the Jesus plus good boy combo. Now, this would be your average guy on the street who says they're a Christian. Right? Ask the average guy on the street who claims to be a Christian, say, hey, are you okay with God? And if so, how? Tell me about that. Well, place my faith in Christ. And I'm a good person. 
countless, countless times I encounter this. It's the both and. Again, giving some positive and and negative examples of things that I have done that are good, things that I haven't done that are bad, and that's why I'm okay. But now with both of these first two groups, where goodness is involved. As they explain their goodness, they're almost always giving the side eye to someone over there that I'm better than. They say, I'm a good person, or at least I'm better than that guy. I'm not Hitler, right? There's worse out there. See, they usually realize deep down that even their goodness is lacking. They're they're professing their goodness, and at the same time, very quickly, they're doubting their own goodness because they've got to turn and look elsewhere for assurance. They've got to to relativize it, comparing themselves to other. And this is what the Judaizers are doing. So this the second column, this Jesus plus the law, this is the Judaizers. This is the circumcision party that we read about last week in verse 12. These are those Jews especially who came to faith in Christ and said, yes, Jesus, that's wonderful. We'll trust him. And we're going to be good people by dotting all these I's and crossing all these T's. And you should too. That was the Judaizers. Faith in Jesus, oh, that's a wonderful thing. That is so great. But it's not enough. Don't stop there. You know that what Jesus did was insufficient to know if you're okay with God. you got to do the rest. And y'all... This is what 90% of people that I have conversations with on the outside, perhaps even some of you, there's this additional element of being a good person mingled with your faith in Christ as you try to explain your okayness. I don't know if you looked at that quote, the little reflection quote thing that I put in the worship folder from, uh, it's another one from J. Gresham Machen. Don't look now, but look later. Jesus isn't too big on this uh, uh, Jesus plus combo. He will either do everything or he will do nothing. He's not going to share center stage with anyone But this Jesus plus option is so very popular. It is so prevalent. Go ask people this week. Ask people who would profess to be Christians. Hey, start up a conversation. Hey, do you feel like you're okay with God? And if so, what's the basis of you you being okay with him? I bet you money, nine times out of ten, it's going to be Jesus plus. I'm trying to be a good person. It's so popular because it's flattering, right? It meshes well with our Western individualism. It meshes well with the American dream. You know what? If I work hard enough, I can accomplish anything. 
And so if we add our good behavior to our faith in Christ, surely that's a winning combo, right? And it sure keeps us from being so needy and so desperate because that's just, ugh. That's unsavory to admit how desperately needy we are. And to these folks, Paul says, nope. It's not how anyone gets justified. So this third group, of course, is drastically different from the first two groups. See, this group isn't just seeking to obey the law in order to be good people and be okay with God. They're not not trying to use the law for their advantage. No, this group has come to realize that the law has no advantage. This group has, in fact, died to the law. Look at verse 19. This would have been shocking to an audience full of Jews who had lived their lives for the law. Their lives had revolved around the law for so long, and Paul says, I've died to that law. That law is dead to me. See, being right with God has nothing to do with trying to be good little boys and girls. And it has everything to do with dying. Dying to the very law that we once looked to for our justification. Next week, so we're going to take two weeks in in these verses. Next week, we're going to go deeper in verse 20 and what it means to die in the sense that we're crucified with Christ. But for today, let's just focus on our death having to do with dying to the law of dying to the false hope that we hold out, that it can do something about our sense of condemnation. Y'all, Luther was uber holy. He was super pious by worldly standards. He kept the law. And he rightly sensed it wasn't doing a bit of good. Paul reached a similar conclusion, right? He was an eye-dotting and a T-crossing machine. He talks about his past as a Jew. I was the big cheese. Nobody was doing it better than me. But he came to a point where he realized that all that law-keeping was rubbish. He said, whatever, whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. Through the law, he died to the law. He realized this law is not working in the way that I thought it was supposed to work. It was actually working, but it was doing something different. It wasn't helping him climb the ladder to God. It was showing him how desperately he needed a Savior. That law was condemning him, and that's the only thing that law can do. The law can't bring life. The law can't justify. The law condemned Paul and drove him to a Savior. We're not able. We can't perform at a level and keep it up that meets God's standard. And that's when we resort to comparing ourselves to others. I'm good, at least relative to that that guy over there. So this third group, when asked... Are you okay with God? And if so, how? They would quickly admit, well, I shouldn't be okay with God. 
I absolutely should not be okay with God, and I wouldn't be okay with God if left to my own devices but Christ. So, three times in verse 16 we have, um, it doesn't work this way, it doesn't work this way, it doesn't work this way. But also three times in verse 16 we have, it works this way, it works this way, this way, stupid. Right? We believed in Jesus. We've placed our faith, our trust in Him. We're justified by faith in Christ. Now, not justified by faith in this vague, squishy sense. Oh, everybody needs to have a little faith. No, it's a very specific sense of I'm trusting who He is and what He's done. That is always what faith in Christ is about in Scriptures. Trusting who He is and what He's done. Trusting that He alone is the righteous one. That He is the only good person. He's the only one who's fully obeyed God's laws. He's the only one that's paid the penalty for the fact that I had not fully obeyed any of them. Trusting the fact that He died as a substitute in my place and He gives to me His perfect record of righteousness so that I can be counted righteous even though I am not. That is how I am okay with God, though I should not be. That's the only way anyone can ever be okay with God. I want to finish this morning by doing two things. In just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand. And you've got it on the bottom there of your worship folder. I think it's also on the slides too. Heidelberg Catechism, question 60. So a catechism is just a series of questions and answers that try to, to summarize some theological content of the Scriptures. And the number, question number 60 out of the Heidelberg is an amazing question about justification. And so you will see in it lots of echoes from what we've just seen in Galatians 2. So we're going to do that. And then we're also going to sing a brand new song. It's a song called By Faith. Okay? Uh, and, it, and it melds perfectly. It's a Getty song, and so a lot of their songs sound similar. I think you'll pick it up pretty easily. It's also, if you're coming next Sunday night to Redeemer Prez in Charleston for our Reformation worship celebration, which you're all invited to and encouraged to attend, it's the song that we will begin that worship service with. Okay, So y'all stand. Let's get ready to do Heidelberg 60. All right. Here's this great question. How are you righteous before God? Only by true faith in Jesus Christ Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ." 
He grants these to me as if I had never had nor committed any sin, and as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart.